Well, I'm very grateful to be here with you this morning, not only those of you here, but also those of you on the live stream. I'm grateful because I'll be sharing from God's Word with you. And we are on the series this summer on the character of God, and it's entitled Knowing God in the Desert. And one thing that has become clear, even from the first sermon in the series, is that it is God who is leading the Israelites in this journey. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had been with them, I would have been right in there grumbling, complaining, not trusting God the way I should. But the one thing I would have been grateful for is that it was God leading us in the wilderness. For you see, I was born in a large city. I lived in large cities all my life, and perhaps that's why I enjoy going out in nature, uh, especially hiking on the mountains. Uh, I love to hear the sound of a flowing stream or a waterfall and just enjoy the beauty of God's creation. But don't take me wrong because I am not an outdoors person. Uh, I remember some 30 years ago, I was with my son Nick, who was four years old at the time. And we were going through some trails at Sesquicentennial Park. That's right here off of Two Notch Road. And we were just going on some trails and we decided to explore a little more and I got us lost. That's hard to do at Sesquit. <laughs> so if you ever consider going with me on a hike, on a trip, you better bring a fully charged cell phone or better yet, a very powerful radio transmitter and at least a five day supply pack to survive with me. Well, last Sunday's message dealt with God's goodness, and Moses had experienced God's goodness several times, so often, as a matter of fact, that he was confident he can come to God, you know, and ask him, Lord, you said you were going to go with us. How are the people going to know that you are our God? If you don't come with us, you have to come. We're not going to move from here unless you come with us. And God replied to him in, in chapter 33 of Exodus, this very thing that you have spoken of, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Well, you know, today people are very interested to find out more about their names, you know, their ancestors, their background, because they think that this is going to bring meaning and significance to their lives. But in the Bible, God's name represented so much more. It really spoke of his uniqueness, as has been preached before, of his glory, the weightiness of who he is. And it encompasses all of the attributes that make up his character. And today we're going to be looking in Exodus chapter 34. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And I think it's on page 74 of the Pew Bibles. But we are going to continue looking at another aspect of God's character. We're going to consider the God who is merciful and gracious. Well, Moses' plea to God to reveal his glory to him that we looked at last week is so important. 
And we're going to find out how God does this in chapter 34. Now, the first few verses of 34, God tells Moses to cut out two tablets of stone, similar to the ones that God had provided during the first visit to the mountain. And so I think this is important because it's an indication that God is not going to give up on his people. He is the covenant-making and faithful God, and he's going to keep his covenant with the Israelites in spite of everything that they've done. Um, And so we're going to look at this passage in Exodus 34, beginning with verse 6. This is the word of God. The Lord passed before him, speaking of Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. Martin Luther called this passage the Sermon on the Name of God. And it's so rich. It has so much in it. You could have a whole series, not only in the summer, but the fall and the spring, just on these three verses. But I want us to concentrate on just the first part, the God who is merciful and gracious. And God begins by proclaiming his sacred name, Yahweh. This is the name that he had given Moses when he called him to serve him at the burning bush. This is the name of the covenant-making God who saved his people. And, you know, he said his name twice, the Lord, the Lord. For emphasis, yes, but perhaps even more, because who else could give and bear witness to who God was but God himself? There's no one like him. Now, I can identify with what Moses asked of God. He wanted to see his glory. Because in this world, this is not a fun place sometimes. It's cruel. It's just grueling going day to day. We face many trials, difficulties. And I get to a point sometimes, I just want to see Jesus. Don't you feel that way sometimes? I just want to, to see Jesus. But I know I realize that it's more important for me to learn who God is by going through this wilderness we call the world, by experiencing trials, difficulties, deceptions, all of these kind of things, because that's the way that we can truly understand his love, his mercy, and his grace for us. So I want us to consider three questions today. The first one, is God truly merciful and gracious, as verse 6 says? Has God been merciful and gracious to you? And are you merciful and gracious to others? Well, looking at the first question, is God truly merciful and gracious? I know most of you are going to say, of course he is. Let me tell you everything he has done in my life. And you will go on and on and on about all how God has been merciful and gracious to you. 
But perhaps at one time in your life, like I have, I wonder how can God be gracious and merciful and He allows so much human suffering all around us. The cruelty, the inhumanity, child molesting, human trafficking, wars, killings. How can God be merciful and gracious? Or perhaps, also like myself, you've asked God for healing or to heal one of your loved ones or to restore someone that has been in bondage to some addiction or perhaps to restore a relationship between a son or a daughter that you love dearly. Much time goes by and more time goes by and you ask, why God, why? Why haven't you merciful and gracious to me? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, speaking of the Israelites, says this. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written for our instruction. So what can we learn from what we've been reading about the Israelites, from their experience with God in the wilderness? Was God merciful to them? In a commentary by Dr. Tony Evans, mercy is defined as the expression of God's steadfast love that relieves misery and does not give all that the sinner deserves. You could say that mercy is not getting the punishment that is due you. Now, after God freed his people from the bondage of Egypt, he was so good to them. He showed kindness to them. He provided everything that they needed, shaved by day, warmed by night. He fed them to satisfy their hunger. He provided water to quench their thirst. He protected them from their enemies. Now, did the Israelites deserve any of this? Of course not. They didn't trust God. They wanted to do things their way. One time they even wanted to kill Moses and return to Egypt. Last Sunday, Pastor Jason mentioned how the Israelites did not even wait for Moses to come back from the mountain, meeting with God. But they fashioned for themselves a golden calf, and they began to worship it saying, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Can you believe that? After all the miracles that God had performed. But don't be so quick to judge them. Have you ever tried to fashion God after your own liking? The things we like about God, his love, his comfort, his peace, his mercy, his grace, his love, unconditional love. But then when you think about his discipline, his wrath, his anger, his judgment, his righteousness, his holiness, then we tend to set those a little bit to the side. We don't like those as much. God could have satisfied his holy justice by destroying the Israelites just like that. But he didn't do it. He was merciful. He was patient, long-suffering with them. God was slow to anger and rich in mercy. Now, was God gracious also to the Israelites? In the same commentary by Dr. Evans, grace is defined as the inexhaustible goodness of God, which he freely bestows upon human beings, which is undeserved, unearned, and unable to be repaid. You could say grace is God's unmerited favor toward the sinner. 
Yet so confident was Moses of God's goodness that he persisted asking God for things, for favor, not only to forgive his people and go with them, but he also asked God, make us your inheritance. Not, he wasn't asking for God to give an inheritance to the people. He was saying, God, take us for your inheritance. These terrible people, these people that reject you at every step, the people that grumble all the time, take us for your inheritance. Now, we've seen how God made great promises to his people. He said he would lead them in the journey. He said he would defeat their enemies. He would provide and protect them all along the way. And eventually, he would hand them over the promised land. Time and again, God showed kindness to them, and they had absolutely done nothing to deserve it. That's what grace is all about. God even called his people his treasure possession, his inheritance. He answered Moses' call to him. Zephaniah 3.17 expresses beautifully the loving kindness of God. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt you over you with loud singing. We have to conclude that God was both merciful and gracious to his people. And now we come to the second question. It deals with you a little bit more directly. Has God been merciful and gracious to you? My wife Marty and I have gone through some very difficult circumstances. We've faced different illnesses, rebellious children, loss of jobs, death of loved ones. And I'm sure some of you have gone through similar things, perhaps more than we have. Some trials are come, come about because of our own bad choices, our sinful choices. Others come, many others, come as a result that we live in a fallen world. And the fact that there are other sinful people running around and we have to bear the consequences of some of their choices. The Bible teaches that God created Adam and Eve in his image for a perfect relationship with God. Adam and Eve were in the garden with God. They saw God face to face. They could speak with him. They could enjoy his presence all the time. But at the precise moment that Adam rebelled against God and disobeyed God, the one rule that God had given them, at that moment, that relationship was broken off. Sin entered the world, and with it, evil, disease, illness, all the evil in the world that we face today. And every human being born thereafter is born under the judgment of God because man has inherited from Adam that sinful nature that we prayed about today. Our whole being is corrupted because of the sin that is in us. And it's only by God's grace that we are not as evil as we could be. Psalm 53, verse 3 says, They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. And the worst part is that man, the only thing that man can do is to have physical death and eternal punishment under God's wrath. 
There's no way for man to restore that relationship that God so graciously had given to him. But praise be to God because he had a rescue plan all the way from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, he promised to send a Savior, the seed of a woman. God chose to display his mercy by sending his Son to take your place and receive your punishment so that then he could be merciful to you and forgive you. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of work done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much and he cares for you so much that he gave his very best. He sent his son to take your place that through his sacrifice, you could be forgiven and you could be restored to a good relationship with God, a right standing with God. The penalty you owed has been paid in full. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus, in him, we have a much greater revelation than anything Moses had experienced before. I think we must conclude that God has been merciful to you and to me. Has he also been gracious? Well, God chose to display his grace by giving us new life in Christ. You see, when you put your trust in Jesus, when you do what God says, there's a supernatural exchange that takes place. You die to self, and then you receive this glorious new life in Christ. John chapter 3 talks about the new birth, that you must be born again by the Spirit. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. Now, does that mean that from the moment you come to Christ, all your troubles are gone? I remember the time I came to the Lord, the next morning I got up, I just looked the same. I wasn't any more handsome than I was before. The bills kept coming in at the first of the month. It seemed like nothing had changed, but something glorious had changed. There was a complete change in me. Praise God. No, things won't get better. As a matter of fact, they're going to get a lot worse. It's just like that illustration of fish swimming down with the current down the river. They're just going along, happily going into eternal punishment. But then when you come to Jesus, you have to turn around. You have to repent from your sins and start swimming upstream. Now, how hard is that? It's very hard. The scriptures exhort us again and again to make every effort to live for Christ. And, you know, the good news is that that is still where grace comes in. Because grace is not just for salvation. Grace is for everyday living. And, you know, consider that in the Bible there are over a hundred references to our relationship with Jesus. The fact that we are in Christ, that Christ is with us, that he is in us. And this is one of the greatest expressions of God's grace for us. Because in Christ, God has granted you and me 
precious and great promises. And I'm just going to talk about a few. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Him, in Jesus. In Christ, we're entitled to all the rights of God's children. In Christ, we're free to know, to love, and to worship God. In Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin, but when you sin, He promised that if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In Christ, you're no longer condemned. No one can bring charges against you ever again. In Christ, you have power to live godly life because you have been given a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. In Christ, you have peace that surpasses understanding. In Christ, you have the overflowing, fear-relieving, everlasting, all-sufficient, all-satisfying God of God, of the love of God Almighty. That's who we are in Christ and all that is available to us. And God's grace is totally unmerited. We don't deserve it. God continually strives to show us favor even when we turn our backs on Him. And there I forget one of the greatest gifts we have, the gift of prayer. You know, when my son Nick and I were hopelessly lost at Sesqui, and it was getting dark, and I was very, very upset and concerned because he was four years old. What am I going to do? And my son grabbed my hand, and he said, Daddy, let's pray. So we sat on a log, and we prayed. We bowed our heads, and we prayed. And when I raised my eyes and I looked, I knew exactly the way I had to go to find our way back to the trail. What a gift God has given us in prayer, that we can go to the throne of grace at any time with any request, any and all requests, in the name of Jesus, and we can find grace and mercy for our time of need. But this only applies, all of these benefits apply only to those who are in Christ. I want to ask you, do you know the God who is merciful and gracious? Do you know His Son, Jesus? You see, in verse 7, we read that God affirms His love and His faithfulness, His forgiveness toward His people, but He never ever compromises His justice. He says here, He will not leave the guilty unpunished. He can't do it, for He is righteous, He is just, and He cannot overlook sin. Perhaps this is why you've heard that mercy and grace met at the cross. Because God satisfied His justice by punishing His Son for the sins that we had committed, the penalty that we deserved, so that all those who come to Jesus in faith and repentance could receive mercy and grace upon grace. God loves you so much. He wants every one of you, all of you here, all of you on the live stream, He wants you to be saved to be forgiven, to receive eternal life, but you must do it His way. God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whoever, anyone, everyone who believes on Him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you have not trusted in Jesus today, perhaps you're not sure whether you are in Christ or not. I just encourage you 
talk to one of our pastors, one of your elders, someone you trust, speak to them about it. Don't put off the most important decision of your life. And now we come to the last question. Are you merciful and gracious to others? One way to know that you're in Christ is whether you're following his teachings. Are you truly his disciples? Jesus taught that we should be merciful toward others. He said that we are to love one another, but also to love the stranger. Not only that, but to love our enemies. We are to be kind to them. He said, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. The Bible exhorts us that we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are called to extend forgiveness and grace to others. The Bible says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ has forgiven you. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And one very important way to show mercy and grace to others is by meeting their needs. We are blessed. We are able to support several local ministries that are doing just that, meeting needs in our community. And you know, you can partner with them. You can come alongside of them and be a blessing to so many in our community that are in need. But you know, meeting physical and even emotional needs is not enough if we don't share God's greatest gift, Jesus. We have to <clears throat> share the gospel. We have to tell them that God's love is so great, so wonderful for them. He desires to bring him into his family. But we have to tell them that God sent his son, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he grew up and he was, lived a life of perfect obedience, a sinless life. And at the appointed time by God, he surrendered his life to sinful men, to evil men who tortured him and nailed him on a wooden cross where he shed his blood for you and for me. And he died and he was buried. But on the third day, praise God, he was raised from the dead and he's alive today. He's in heaven sitting on his throne, reigning over his creation. And the Bible says that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. If we don't share the gospel with them, we're not truly loving them. We're not truly doing what God asks us to be merciful and gracious to them. Perhaps you have never shared the gospel with anybody. Perhaps you just don't feel confident about doing that. Reach out to us. Reach out to your pastors, to your elders, to your teachers. That's why we're here for. God has appointed these men and women to tell you and to equip you to do works of ministry. Reach out to them, even you on the live stream. Call us. Get dressed. Come out today. Talk to us. We're going to have the discipleship hour. Pastors and elders will be here to welcome you. Beloved, let us all strive together to introduce others to the God who is merciful and gracious. Would you pray with me? Most merciful and gracious God, our Father. Oh, that you would even delight with singing over us. Oh, that we would be considered your inheritance. You are indeed merciful. You are indeed gracious. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Help us to follow him faithfully. 
Help us to follow his teachings, to truly be his disciples. By this, the world will know that we are his by our love one for another. Give us boldness. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit. May we have a passion to seek Jesus and to communicate the gospel of grace to this lost and dying generation. And we pray these things with confidence. For you are good, and your mercies endure forever. And we ask all these things in the matchless name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.